It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly gatherings of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and all those who like to help people in the world of business, including one actor. Uh, Dr. Destiny, you're going to be leading us through this discussion today and we're going to be talking about organizational learning and unlearning. Uh, When that comes to mind, it's very much like, "Mm, how much have I learned over the past, you know, few decades uh, that I have to unlearn now because things have changed. Yeah, they definitely have. And I think that the last couple of years have really showcased how fast things can change and move and how fast we have to potentially unlearn. And, And speaking in that in that way, flexibility is something else that kind of comes to mind when I think of unlearning. And there's actually a concept called strategic flexibility, and it's described as the ability to identify and respond effectively to changing environments. And so that really has to do with what we've seen over the COVID-19 pandemic and then the outcomes from that. And within that strategic flexibility, there is, you know, a lot of research that suggests that they kind of coincide. Obviously, you know, if you have to have that unlearning process happen to have that flexibility, otherwise you're going to get stuck in your old ways. You're going to get stuck in your old habits, behaviors, beliefs, things like that. So today we're going to talk about the unlearning, you know, lens of learning because with learning comes a little bit of unlearning potentially. So excited to see where this conversation goes and to see and hear what people have gone through and seen in their organizations. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is a big time of change, especially with the addition of remote work, although it's been around for about 20 or 30 years, but it really became something that all of a sudden was on everyone's radar once the lockdown happened. But a lot of leadership, you know, they look like me. (laughs) And they're going, you know, things have been fine for the last 30 years. The way we've done it is the way we've always done it. And 
change is hard. So, you know, why do I want to do this? What do you say to those people? Well, do you want to succeed or fail uh, at business? Uh, do you want to, we talked about reputation a couple of weeks ago. Do you want to become that leader that's known for, you know, going, get hard against what needs to occur? You know, innovation and, and strategy are really what's, you know, keeping organizations alive and successful, especially through all these transitions. So go ahead, stay in those old ways, but eventually you're going to either have to make a change or you're going to find yourself in a really hurt position. So, so that's what I say. Well, where, do, where then do I start? I mean, is there, is there some thinking that I've developed over the last few decades that right now needs to change? Is there, is there like, is there a starting place that we can all sort of start from? I know that there's probably a lot of places to start from, but maybe one of the things to do is to kind of listen to what your current, you know, employees are saying, uh, what people have been suggesting to you, what are your competitors doing? Uh, what are, you know, what are you hearing on media, social media? What are people screaming about? That's a good place to start and to kind of give yourself a self-check, a self-assessment and say, what is it that we're doing? Is there anything that can be quickly, you know, identified and potentially, you know, worked on, looked at, reorganized? And then I, it's very likely, you know, as it's just like people, you know, every day, you know, in a, in a, in a very philosophical way, you're a new person every day because you've learned, you've experienced, you've gone through something. And so it's really important to kind of think about that from an organizational perspective, because if you don't, once again, you're just going to get into a situation where, you know, people, your competitors are going to take advantage of you not, you know, kind of keeping up with it. So I'm sure there's a lot of ways to start. I know that there's probably a lot of professionals on here that can give some great advice about that. And I'm looking forward to hearing what they say too. Well, Linda Ann, let me go to you next because it, it does sound like maybe I need to work on my relationships uh, <laughs> and maybe have some conversations with those, you know, even frontline workers. But boy, that can get treacherous at times. Reaching out, how, how do I not panic my employees because all of a sudden I'm talking to them? Or how do I build, you know, positive relationships with those employees so they don't go running and screaming out the door? Wow, I think that's a whole nother problem. I, if, you, if that's the situation you're facing, you know, I remember uh, about 10 years ago, I was in an organization and, and we, there were some changes coming. And, you know, there's the, there was this feeling of, you know, I, I, I don't really want to make the change. And I made the conscious decision to not be that stick in the mud, buddy duddy, really resisting the change and that I was going to embrace that whole process ongoing and really looking at the situations that were presented for change as opportunities. And it's important now, even more than 10 years ago, because the cycle of change is so quick and the evolution of new is, is constant. I think that as leaders, it's important to embrace the fact that you are not the knowledge bank anymore. You are not the director of activity so much anymore. And you are now a facilitator and coordinator of information and skill sets. And you provide direction, but you also have to gather that information. You know, the old Stephen Covey uh, 
saying of seek first to understand is more important now than than ever really understanding where is are you studying as a leader are you getting your education um and paying attention to what, what's evolving the opportunity for leaders to stay in the the structure that they're comfortable with isn't really something they're allowed to do and be successful anymore it's about managing that change. The other thing, though, is how do you create that feeling of safety and familiarity and comfort within that environment of change? I think that's the real challenge. Yeah, I'd agree. And, you know, it's interesting when you talk about training, because when I was teaching in university, students were always fascinated that I was still taking workshops. I was still taking, you know, I was still upping my training even though I was training them. And a little clarification for Gary, when I said people who look like me, I meant male, white, over 50. <laughs> I think that's a lot of our leadership right now across um, North America, if not around the world. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Lee, let's go to you. You know, you know, Tom, I, I've totally thought you were meaning like Canadians were taking over the world. That's where I thought you were going with that. But um, anyway, sorry. You know, I, I think that, that a kind of a key that often gets gets missed when we start talking about change is confusing the difference between motion and progress. I mean, you can spend a lot of time on a treadmill, but you're not actually going to get anywhere. And a lot of people, I mean, you know, just do something. You know, I worked for an organization that reorganized every year. Fiscal year came, you knew it was going to happen, but you didn't know what it meant. Who, who am I going to be working for? What department am I going to be in? Am I going to have a job? You just didn't know. And every time you start getting towards the end of the fiscal year, everybody got a little antsy on top of all the other, you know, FY ending stuff. It's what's coming because there was no prep. It was just a, oh, by the way, next week you report to Bob. Okay, great. And ultimately my my departure from the organization was, oh, by the way, your department doesn't exist anymore. And, uh, you know, thanks for everything. And uh, here's some resources on your transition. Well, I at least got resources, but yeah, good times there. But so you really do have to. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, what Linda Ann was saying is spot on about managing the change, managing the the environment, um, you know, the the people. Nothing happens without the people. And if you make your people nervous, well, then they're not going to be at their optimal thing. They're going to be looking for the exits. A lot of times you lose good people just because they don't feel settled. I mean, you're like, I'm never going to get rid of this guy. He's a superstar. He's thinking, holy cow, is the next email going to be my layoff? And, you know, if you don't manage that properly, I mean, you know, as Destiny said, do you want to fail? Because that's how you fail, you know, but there you go. Yeah, it's complicated. And a little bit more clarification. Yes, Canada is taking over the world. Uh, we're doing it through our entertainers and artists. Uh, if you don't know, Ryan Reynolds is Canadian and he's a spy, just to make sure that everybody knows that. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> Spies? <laughs> I thought you were so nice. Well, back to the uh, topic at hand, organizational learning. There is so much to consider here. I mean, from from people who resist change to change for the sake of change, but no other reason, as Lee had mentioned. First of all, we have to insist that people be aware. What's going on around you? What are the employees saying? What are um, the trends in your industry? What are your competitors doing? If anybody 
were to pay attention to that, it wouldn't be hard to realize that change is the only constant in their existence in the universe, really. And so what do we do with that? I think a lot of organizations do have components of organizational learning, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't have the processes. They don't have the procedures. They may not even have the goals. Even when you do have different components of organizational learning, it may just be stuck in different places, different things in different places, but there is no benefit to having all that because there's no clarity of what to do with it how to do it, how to benefit from it, when could it be less than beneficial potentially, which is where an IO could come in handy, just as a small side note. But there's so much to consider here that for us to say, okay, we're going to talk about organizational learning. I think that could be overwhelming for uh, someone in a leadership position without having someone really hold their hand because If you ask your average leader, do you want your organization to succeed? Of course they do. That's their paycheck too. But what are you willing to do? And do you know how to do what it takes for your organization to succeed is a whole different ballgame. So I think there needs to be a lot of handholding. There needs to be a lot of guidance that, that leaders need. And during this time of extreme changes that we're all experiencing, that is even more relevant because if you as a leader were struggling before the pandemic, now you're probably drinking. So I think this is where we need to come together and help each other out because it's one thing to say you need to do this and you should be doing this. But if the person who is at the end of your pointing finger doesn't know where to even begin, what can you realistically expect from them? Well, let me ask you this then because major corporations are spending millions of dollars every single year training, but hasn't it just sort of become another check the box? You know, we, we've done training and we spent our budget, therefore we're okay, but there's no results. People aren't actually getting better. Is that what's going on? I think that's part of it because some of the training is being done because we are as an organization required by law to give you this training, X, Y, Z. Now we check off the box and some organizations take it a little further and say, okay, we're going to have some additional training, but nobody really checked. Is this training needed? Is this training beneficial? Is this training being applied in a way that makes sense? So there's no work done beforehand, no work done afterwards. It's just that checkbox again. So think about how much money is being spent on that or maybe wasted on that is more accurate. And then nothing happens as a result. So again, I think there's a lot of confusion and lack of understanding, lack of clear goals and a lack of knowledge of how to get there, how to get something out of this organizational learning. We have knowledge, we have information, we have people who know things. Now, how do we get this to benefit the organization as a whole? I think that's what's missing for a lot of companies. So I really do want to talk to an IO and and just start that conversation of my organization needs training, but I have no idea where we start. Right. And, And they can actually analyze where you actually really do need the training. Yes. Oh, what a wonderful world it would be. <laughs> Maria, let's go to you. 
Thank you. So actually, I don't have a lot much to add to what Dr. Martha said, but, you know, I was thinking I'm very early in the game here, you know, as a new IO student. But one of the things I've learned in my short time is um, the importance of research. And research isn't necessarily taking place in a lab all the time, right? And I think those are the conversations that we have to learn how to use in our own organizations and also speak to our friends, our families, our colleagues, and those company executives that may be talking to us and just asking them, you know, respectfully, of course, what research have you done in your organization to find out what you need? Are you doing what Dr. Martha said and just... Um, providing the trainings that are required by law or providing the trainings we think we need. How do, why, and, and is that training being effective and how do you know? Because I can't see myself spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a training program that's not gonna have outcome change if outcome change is needed. And I think without the research, you know, and I would go so far as, and again, new student, so maybe I'm just being elementary here. Um, I would go so far as to suggest, um, here's a hypothesis. If you do this, then this will happen. Let me prove or disprove this for you, because no matter what, we're going to learn something. The great I.O. research test has begun. Let's let's actually do that. Um, but let's go over to the HR office. Linda, and what, what's going on? I think that one of the hardest pieces of this is the unlearning part, right? The topic today is organizational learning and the unlearning. And to really embrace, and that unlearning is the change. And how do we really set ourselves up for that comfortable evolution? And one way to do that, I think, is often do a little futurescaping. You know, what happens, let's in, in those meetings or however you communicate, what happens when the client says, okay, do you do the virtual reality thing with my project? And how do you respond to that? And who are you creating as your internal expert for that next evolution? And are you using that as a growth opportunity? And are you using it as an opportunity to educate the rest of the organization? So while it's an unlearning process, it's a new step in the learning process for protecting yourself in your evolution and, and the future of your organization. I've been in situations where, um, and this was in the old days and I'm dating myself, but I worked for a hospital in the administration of a hospital during the time when managed care was first coming to be. And there was a great number of people who said, oh, this will just go away. And here we are. It did not go away. And there's other things in our, our work environment that are similar so that if you're not constantly looking out for what's next, and you know the the we've talked about the fact that information comes out, but it's 17 years before people actually do anything with it, we need to be paying attention as leaders to set our people up for um, that next stage on a regular basis. It's that evolution, that growth opportunity, and how how far do your lenses really go? Do we have to remind the business community that? you know, change is always a constant, as Dr. You know, Martha says, and that early adapters usually succeed, that if you embrace this, the, the chances of 
success for your organization actually go up? I mean, is that one of the messages they have to hear? I would say to be careful about that with the first adapters, because it's not just the first adaptation. It's not just getting in the game first or early, right? Because again, that evolution is so quick. It's not just, oh, we have found the next new thing and here we go. We're going to be set for a while. No, you're just in the next step. But it's new and it's shiny <laughs> and it draws my attention. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Yeah, something to consider too is the organization's culture. If you have an organization that does not promote or sometimes even does not allow change, we've all seen all kinds of organizations and organizational cultures, that's going to be tremendous in preventing any kind of effective organizational learning. Because if the culture is such that, hey, no new ideas, maybe not even new people, no changes, how are you going to facilitate organizational learning? And something that Linda Ann said that made me think about uh, when people look at something and say, oh, this won't last. And then, you know, two decades later, there it is. But on the flip side of that, you may have an organization where those shiny new things are there every week and they don't go anywhere. So what does that do to the organization's general population? Oh, well, you know, you have this guy or this, this team of leaders and they're always on the lookout for something new, but nothing ever happens with it. Whether there's no follow-up or it was poorly selected as the new good thing for our particular organization. So then what does that mean? The next thing that comes along that could be the thing, people are just going to roll their eyes and say, okay, well, this will blow over in a week and we'll look at something else that's new and exciting. So organizations, culture, big component of this conversation, I think. If if we have a culture that is, you know, not working in an organization, it might even be toxic. Can we unlearn that? Can we change the culture by unlearning some habits? Well, certainly a culture can be changed, but let's remember that ultimately culture comes from the top. So whether the leaders of an organization are proactive in either establishing uh, keeping or changing a culture, or whether they're the proverbial absentee landlord where they just show up and let whatever happens happen, they are ultimately responsible for how that culture shapes up. Yes, there are other influences, but in the end, those are the people who are held responsible for an organization's culture. So absolutely, it can be changed. But of course, if you have a culture that's toxic, that's going to take more time and effort to fix than a culture that's just a slightly off, right? So we have to keep that in perspective, but it's not going to change overnight. It's something that absolutely requires time and effort and requires things such as modeling of the behavior that you want to see, be the person that you want to see, be the change as they say. Uh, so it's not just something that you put out a memo and it's done, it's going to take work and it's going to take work not only within the organization as a whole, but also within the different components of the organization. Think about how many people you may have encountered in your own experience where they hoard information 
and maybe they've been at an organization for a while, but they're not going to show anybody else anything that they know because they have some fear that if others know how to do what they know, then they no longer have job security. Well, maybe that's their personality. Maybe that's the company and the culture. Maybe it's a combination of both. Who knows? But that right there is preventing organizational learning because that's one of those things where valuable information resides somewhere within that organization, but nobody is willing to share it. Nobody is coaxing it out of that scared individual. Nobody is promoting sharing of information. Nobody is demonstrating sharing of information. So again, goes back to the culture, goes back to the leadership. Yeah, it sounds sounds more and more like I need to bring in an IO. Uh, Lee, let's go. Yeah, Lee, let's go to you. Yeah, you know, one thing about the the change, uh, you know, especially when we're talking, you know, cultural and whatever, it's got to be intentional and it's got to be incremental. Because you know, one thing you've got to, there, there's some reflection that go on. There's some there's some honesty and some uh, you know things. People are really good, just in general, of not seeing what they don't want to see, and. You know, especially, you know, and C-suite is no different. And in fact, C-suite may excel better than the general population at not seeing, you know, what's right in front of them. And so there has to be the intention, you know, to to make the change and, and the commitment to do that. And then you have to have a plan, which, of course, is where, you know, an IO can come in, you know, hint, hint. And so you have to make that plan and it's got to be incremental because you can't just go, you know, I mean, whoever... I forget who said, you know, just drop a memo and it's going to happen. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, you could drop a memo to say that we're planning on, on this happening at some point and then work on the plan. But if you say, I decree that tomorrow this is going to happen. Well, you know, that, that whole, you know, king monarch thing doesn't really work so much, you know, around here. And so those type of organizations tend to fail uh, in these days. You have to have that buy-in. You have to have the, uh, and, and great point you know, that Dr. Martha made about the people hoarding the knowledge and you know, the, the black box workers, you know, you, you don't know what's going on inside the box, but all of a sudden something, you know, the, the end product pops out and what's well, great, you know, and, and, you know, the sleight of hand may work for magic, but we really kind of need to know what's going on. And, you know, and like I, I, I've mentioned before, you know, when you're, when you're training people is that you need to get across that if you have something you want to do in this company beyond what you're doing, if you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. You know, get rid of that. If I can replace me, they can fire me. You know, let's let's move away from that and give them the psychological safety to know that my job is not in danger because I'm passing along information because, oh, by the way, I could get hit by a bus this afternoon and then the whole company's going to crash because I didn't share my little notebook with them. And in some organizations, that is a real, that is a real challenge uh, and it is a real danger. Um, especially if they suddenly decide to retire or, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, well, it's time for process change because we have to. And, uh, you know, we the, the whole point in, in, you know, proper organizational change and change management is not to be emergent. We want to make sure that we are anticipating, we are, we are putting in mitigations, we are putting in contingency plans, and we are preventing you know, any emergency that we can prevent so that we can do this intentionally and we can do it properly over time without panicking our entire workforce that, you know, the, the earthquake is coming, the building is coming down and we got to run for the exits because uh, it can be awful lonely at that point when it's all said and done. 
and you're the only one there. Very, very true. But, but you know, if I'm one of those people sitting in the C-suite and you're convincing me, there's still that issue that pops into my head of, wow, change sounds expensive. True. And it often can be. But I will say that intentional change is much less expensive than emergent change. You know, if I set a plan in motion and I spread it across the next six quarters, well, guess how that looks on the on the, you know, the sheet. But if I wait and I put it off and I, I put my blinders on, you know, to maximum and then all of a sudden, oh, crud, that machine doesn't work anymore that we could have been fixing. And now I've got to spend this huge amount of money in Q1. Well, guess what that does to my budget for the rest of the year? You know, the, I mean, think about your car. Preventative maintenance, okay, it stinks, but you go and you pay your, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks, whatever it is, depending on what you drive, to get your oil changed. Okay, that sucks. But it's a whole lot less than putting it off and blowing the engine out of your car. Trust me, my kid did this, I know, and costing you four or $5,000 at one time to replace that engine. So there you go. I mean, that's 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 about as blunt as I can make it on the difference between the two. I will take option A myself. Thank you. I, I guess it's cheaper than failure. <laughs> if you destroy your organization, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, I think that that leads right on with, you know, the response to the question, well, it sounds expensive. Well, not doing it is even more expensive, right? So I think that's a general concept that applies across the board in many things in life. I think that one thing that is important for leaders to embrace now going forward, whether if they've been a leader for a while, it's probably going to be a little more difficult. But if they're an emerging leader, this is probably just part of their process. But it it's important to have the courage and humility to give the information away and understand that success is about them. Success is not about your leadership. It's how you lead, but it's not about you as a leader. When you're an effective leader, it's about the people you are leading. And so I think it, that's a shift in concept for a lot of people where they, their leadership or who they are as a leader um, is about how they delegate or how they move people around or whatever that is. And now it's more about the coordination, the facilitation, the education, the development of the team that defines your success as, as a leader. I think that's also really important for people to decide how they're going to gather information about the environment, their organizational environment and the client's environment. And how are they gathering that information? And then beyond that, utilizing it and integrating it into their organization. Dr. Martha, I'll come to you in a moment, but I want to jump back to you, Dr. Destiny, for a moment, because one of the things that Dr. Jeremy shared with us is is the growth of the Work Cookie podcast and and how it's not just IOs and HRs. There's actually leaders now who are listening to these podcasts trying to gleam information. But if I'm sitting in the C-suite and, and I'm listening to this podcast and I go, okay, it's time for me to reach out. How can CBOC as an organization help me to, you know, to find the right IO that can come in and help me to bring forth that change in the organization. I love that you asked that, Tom. <laughs> and this wasn't planned, at least not on my part, but currently we are in the works of creating a CBOC business um, membership, but far from that membership is we have a team here clearly of experts that have a lot of different 
you know, experiences, perspectives. They, they come to the table with a ton of different value. We have case studies, you know, we have various scopes of work. So, you know, just sending a message, coming to the website, sending myself, Jeremy, any of these individuals a message uh, will be a great place to start because if we don't know how to initiate something for you, we have a list, a network, a circle of really talented professionals here that can really add perspective and value. So when you come to CBOC, you get a team of value instead of just maybe going to an individual of value. So that's something to consider. And that's where we're moving with the business membership and the business perspective is that we're going to, we're actually creating teams uh, that will be able to provide project work, insight, consultation, coaching, and all of the above to organizations that are looking for that perspective. Matchmaking for organizations. I like that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Dr. Martha, let's go to you. From Canada spies to matchmaking. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, going back to what um, Lee and Linda Ann were saying about changing the way some people look at information and knowledge and rather than hoarding it, learning how to let it go. Because yes, you can look at it in the old way of this is my job security. And if I tell anybody, then they'll, they won't need me anymore. But as Lee brought up the idea that if, if you can't let go of that, you can't move forward. I think a lot of times what is happening that prevents organizational learning because of of what's happening with individuals is people really don't understand or don't know how they can safely let go and share and benefit at the same time. There is no structure within the organization. There is no understanding that has been shared with them of how it will benefit both them their careers, those around them, and the organization as a whole to share information with others. While I absolutely agree that, yes, that thinking has to be switched from this is my job security to this is my way of moving forward, but I can see how people would be reluctant if they just don't know how this is going to work because there is nothing that's in place. There is nobody that has been promoting that. And maybe they've even witnessed others hoarding information and thought this is the way to do this. Again, it goes back to the organization. How are you as an entity going to promote this within your people to share information, to to let go so that they're not hoarding it? And this is applicable for every employee at every level. From the C-suite to the guy who just started fresh out of school, first day on the job. If that structure doesn't exist and culture part of it, then it's going to be that much harder for people who do not naturally share information and teach others and want to move on. You can look at uh, one of the ways that you can look at something like that, a situation like that is if you let go of this stuff. Maybe you won't have to do it anymore. Maybe you get to do something you enjoy. Maybe you get to learn something new. Now you're just stuck doing, it's like Groundhog Day, the movie, right? You, you have to do the same thing over and over again. 
Is that what you want? For some people, that's their personal hell. So why don't you just let go a little bit, move on to something else and facilitate organizational learning in that sense, benefit yourself and the organization. And by the way, happy Groundhog's Day, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for throwing that in, Dr. Martha. Um, and excuse my naivete, and this kind of sounds like I'm back in kindergarten, but I think we have to apply it to the corporate world. What's the benefit of sharing? Sharing is caring. I heard that somewhere. <laughs> Wasn't that the Care Bears? I don't know. <laughs> I see some people nodding. Well, the benefit of sharing information is that if you share information with others, they will share information with you. And collectively, you all become stronger. So if you're looking to strengthen your organization, it only makes sense. We have the choice of either all sitting in our little corners, hoarding information and protecting it from imaginary goblins, or we can work together and be stronger as a collective. So it's not that difficult to understand. I think maybe some emotional barriers, some fears, some egos, those things might have to be addressed, but it's not a difficult concept to understand. So kindergartners, you know, working together, we can get more accomplished. We can get more stuff. If you want to look at it that way, we can be more successful. We can be stronger. We can beat the other guys. That's why teams of people come together. It's not a difficult concept. It's just some old habits that may have to be challenged and changed. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a pretty good place to start. Uh, Lee, let's go to you, and then Amanda will go over to you. You know, that's, that's a great segue into employee development and coaching, because part of this is, you know, the top can say we need to change. But, you know, as we've discussed, the change doesn't come from the top. The buy-in does. The change comes down from the shift leaders and the department managers and those guys who were, you know, the people who were down working with the people who get the work done. And so if you can work with those people to uh, establish the the culture, uh, the cultural changes and the, you know, the paradigm shift of bringing in their people and saying, okay, let's talk about what you want to do. You know, what is it that you would like to do different than what you were doing now? Or what tools do you need to do your job better? And we actually take those those down and then we actually do something with that information other than just sticking it in their employee file. Because unfortunately that happens a lot. But if we actually take that information and we say, okay, well, you know, Bob has got all this great information has been doing this for a while, but you know, Bob really wants to take some some training and wants to to maybe learn to do you know this other thing. So maybe we can work in that direction. Maybe we can do we can split some tasks among people, and we can do some sharing. So you can train someone to do what you do, and then and then if you can do that, then we can help you move over to this other thing. And if you can get that point across, and you can make them feel safe enough that you're not trying to backdoor them out the door that, yeah, really, we're going to give you something else, wink, wink. And uh, as soon as you train, you know, Sally to, to do your job, well, oh, by the way, here's your here's your nice piece of paper in pink. Um, we don't want to do that. But if I can come to you, and, and it's got to start small. I mean, like we've said, you know, with all these things, got to start small. Um, you know, I ask you a question that doesn't have, it, you don't have to be that vulnerable to answer, that you can give me a, what could make things a little bit better? Give me, you know, just give me something that, 
I like Jeremy says, you know, don't don't give it broad. Say, you know, give me three things that can make your job better. You know, give a specific and 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 then write them down and then say, okay, and then address them. Well, you know, yeah, I'm probably not going to be able to get you a TV at your workstation so you can keep up with the game. Okay, nice try. Sorry, probably not going to happen. But uh, these other things. So okay, uh, you're going to need more of. You know, you need more widgets to do your thing so that you don't have to stop your thing to go over and get more widgets. Okay, well, we can work with that. And then I make that happen. And so now we have, we've, we've started establishing that shift. We have started creating that trust that what you tell me is not just going to go in circle file, that I'm going to actually do something with it. And then if I can't, then I will tell you I can't and tell you why, not just an excuse of, you know, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to put the TV there because you hit your finger with a hammer. I mean, I can't do that. But there's a safety reason. But there's a reason. It's not just an excuse that I don't want to do it. And you have to, I mean, because that's the biggest thing, follow through. And, and you know, you see it with parenting. You see it with uh, especially early career uh, adults that the follow through is really, really, really key. And, you know, the whole adage of under promise over deliver is also, you know, key here and you know and make it small make it doable you know don't don't walk in there and say i'm going to give everybody a four-day work week and 27 holidays if there's no way you're going to be able to do that uh be realistic yeah i mean i think there's too many employees who have gone down a trail just to six months later oh we're no longer going down that trail it's like the next shiny object uh, and let's just switch the path from week to week uh, amanda let's go to you hi so like i said in the chat last week this has been my world for the last 20 years of learning and development um in various facets so this topic is near and dear to my heart but a lot of what is being kind of discussed is really kind of trying to talk about the dis from what i from what it sounds like is the distinctions of trying to move like the organizational culture from a training culture to a learning culture to a coaching culture because if you're training it's very transactional you may or may not get the bang for the buck because you're offering a lot of training but is it really being applied in the workplace we don't know learning people start learning but when you start using the model like lee was indicating about having the managers and supervisors essentially be manager as coach um that topic or an employee coaching is a really credible tool to be a catalyst for shifting an organization into that coaching culture. Um, and a lot of the fears that people have that are seated are really valid that I do think need to be acknowledged. Like if individuals fear, because it, it goes back to scarcity or abundance mindset and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If someone fears that they, if they share the information, they're going to lose their job. Therefore, they may feel they may lose a paycheck, which is like the bottom need of being able to provide the absolute critical essentials for yourself. So I think there is like the organization itself needs to build that kind of security and say, no, this is not our intent is not to replace you. Um, because in certain sectors like government, if someone was just to share information, your job is just not going to be handed off to someone. There are certain securities that are put in place because of um, union representation. However, that still doesn't mean that you can't support the manager and supervisor to make that shift in looking and acknowledging that, yeah, it can be scary. And there's certain biological mechanisms as IOs that we are aware of that happens when people get into that unpleasant feeling. Fight flight starts to kick in. The options that they see are narrowed, meaning that I share or I don't share. 
they see two options, that is it, versus we can start priming them and having more of that positive affect where, because it goes back to Barbara Fredrickson's broaden and build theory, help folks feel that sense of safety in order to be vulnerable and feel good about being vulnerable, where they start seeing the benefits. Because when you broaden your perspectives, you get to see more options that are available versus when we're in survival mode. So if we can help folks get to kind of that feel good place and knowing that they're safe to share the information, they will see the value of it because removing them from that, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my actual physiological and safety needs that are at the bottom of the hierarchy in order to provide for myself and my family. But it's more of the consequences of sharing is that you build more leaders. You increase retention, especially when you start talking about how much it costs to uh, uh, retrain someone. There is dollar figures out there on what turnover costs are, and they're astronomical. Uh, let me ask you, Amanda, what is it like talking to leaders and organizations and having that initial conversation? Um, I'm, I'm kind of imagining that by the time they get in touch with you, they already see that there's issues. But when you start talking about change, are they open to it, or are they you know, going to be more reserved and, and more cautious? Depends on the person and depends on the microculture that has been embedded within certain areas, because certain areas, especially, for instance, like if there's investigations or audits that are associated, and this is even in just like, uh, let's say, uh, non-profit, not nonprofits, but public sector for folks that are, hey, they're an auditing firm and you hire them to come in and do audits, they are built to have a suspicious mindset. And a suspicious mindset is just a function of their role. So understanding what are the functions, influences on how individuals operate in addition to what is the history that's been created in a culture in these areas. And I have found that some really grab onto it wholeheartedly because they see the benefit. They're ready to um, reap the benefits of that benefit. But just like our conversation last week, you're going to need to wait 18 months to maybe two years or to um, Linda Ann's point of that three, five year plan is that it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. And there are those that you're trying to get on board that they're hesitant. They want to, but they don't feel safe enough yet too. And then you've got individuals that are just, nope, not happening. And those are the folks that you need to help them feel a little bit better in order to not have them be in fight and flight and scared for and fearing the loss of the necessary resources that they need to have to just live. Thank you very much for that. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So <clears throat> I have a, a just want to build on what both Lee and Amanda said in some ways is, you know, what Lee was describing is really one of the keys of leadership. And that's where you enable your team to move forward and so forth. The other side of that is, do you have their back as they do it? And how much political capital do you have or are you willing to spend to make sure that they succeed as you enable them? And, you know, sometimes in, in teams that I've led, we come to a decision, they're going to move forward in a certain front. And if they got pushed back, what I told them, if you're not comfortable with whatever's going on in your interaction, you just send them to me. 
because I will have your back. I will support you. I'll give them the reason, but you do not have to take the grief from the other side. That's my job to make sure that that's taken care of. And so to have the courage to do that, and that have you spent the time to develop the political capital, the credibility and the courage to, to do that is where you need to be developing your skill set as a leader versus, you know, holding on to that nugget of information. Well, Dr. Dusty, let me go back to you now, because, you know, what I'm hearing today is whether it's learning or unlearning, it's a process and it's a process that's going to take some time. So realistically, if I'm a a member of the C-suite and I buy into this, what am I going to see? Well, it's important to consider that it might not be very linear all the time, right? So if your expectation is that it's going to be a linear, you know, situation that like this is, you know, one thing's going to happen next, it's not always the case. And that's not always the best way to learn. Um, in fact, uh, there's organ- or there's research that shows when organizations unlearn outdated knowledge, actors find themselves in a state of tension where they tend to draw on established knowledge structures while they should be enacting new knowledge. Hence, organizational learning occurs simultaneously with learning. Over time, outdated knowledge structures fade into the background and actors, they're referring to actors as the organizational members, are more likely to use the new knowledge. And so just keeping you know that in mind, because sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time, we don't whether we're leaders, whether we're in the process, whether we're employees, we don't see things moving in a certain direction, maybe because of our own expectation. So expectation management is so important in this process. And I wanted to put a quick little, you know, tidbit of uh, acknowledgement and and something that's coming up on the forefront. Linda Ann mentioned um, political capital, courage and credibility, and how to develop those skills as a leader. She's actually alongside another CBOC member, Deborah, are doing a, a workshop, a leadership summit that's coming up uh, at towards the end of the month. So make sure that you check that out uh, as well. So if you're listening in, stop on by to check that out. Well, Linda, Anne, could you uh, take a moment and tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, it's I'm very excited about it. Deborah and I have worked hard to make sure that this is a process that will stick with whomever engages in the program. It's not a didactic thing where we're just going to spew information out at the audience. It's a process of um, providing some information, but going through an an assessment, going through that self-reflection, evaluating who you want to be as a leader, and then giving you the tools and helping you develop that process for yourself. So it's going to be a very personal program and uh, process that you come away with at the the end of that. Additionally, beyond the actual three-hour program, we'll have a Slack program, a Slack channel where there'll be interaction for an entire week where people can network, communicate, and get information on facilitation of their processes. And then we'll have uh, a a week later, a follow-up Q&A session to really bring it all together and and give a uh, put a bow on it, so to speak. And so we're very excited. We think that um, this is a new approach to how leadership development needs to take place. And yeah, it's part of the uh, the 20, was it the 
I think it was President's Day is the leadership day for the month. So we kind of piggybacked on that. And it's really a, a way to help people understand how to approach their development process. Well, it sounds like if there are, you know, those leaders who are listening to the podcast, this is actually a really good place to start. If you want to develop your leadership, the, you know, here is where we all start. So it's great that you're offering that. And when again is the date? It's the Wednesday, the 22nd, and the time zones, we tried to make it so that the time zones were reasonable for people in the U.S., um, but yeah. And thank you very much, Amanda, for sharing it, and um, share it with everyone. If you've been listening to the podcast, uh, get that information out there, and I can just go to CBOC to find out more information, Linda Ann. Absolutely. It's listed there and we've been sharing it on our LinkedIn profiles. And uh, so you can just click and, and register and we'll also be uh, uh, recording it. So please embrace the new process. Excellent. Um, Dr. Destiny, we are um, getting close to being out of time and um, we're going to talk a little bit more about learning next week. I believe it's facilitating learning of members and creating a culture of learning. So sounds like we're going to take a path down that cultural aspect. Yes. And we've talked about that a little bit today. I mean, you can't really, you know, focus on learning and unlearning if you're not talking about culture. I mean, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand, whether it's, you know, potentially something that is, you know, a stick in the road, <laughs> or it's something that's encouraging movement or motion. So uh, we'll be talking about that. We're going to be talking about mental models in the workplace, things that are just a little bit different, but that are, you know, on the cusp of being something that we should be talking about, that we should be addressing, and that, you know, this is how we deal with change and, you know, looking at those change models. So excited about this month and, you know, you know, pairing that with the summit and the things that Jeremy and I have been working on with the team behind the scenes, you know, the business memberships, there's a university membership now that we're super excited about. In fact, all of this that we're talking about, you can go to the CBOC website and you can see we do have a lot of different buckets of focuses that we not only are doing, but that we can do. And anything that you're seeing that you're like, well, I wish it had a, or I'm, you know, it would be nice if it, please let us know because the best part about what we're doing is we're building along like the, like we're, we're building it as we go in a way where we're keeping up with what people are asking for, what they're looking for. And it can be a customized approach. We are definitely open to that. So keep that in mind as you're, you know, looking at it and, and have questions and concerns and thoughts. And one of the things that's already going on, um, Lee, with you is the pop-ups that are going on. I think they're every week, and especially if you're new to the industry or if, you know, if you're a grad student, um, are those valuable? Oh, I would say so, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's grown. It's been, uh, it's been great. I mean, personally, I learn something every week. Uh, I do try to do them every week, usually on Thursday. That's why we call them pop-up because it kind of depends on my schedule. But we do have one tonight, uh, 5.30 Central. Um, it is drop in, drop out. So don't worry about it. If you can't be there at five 30, cause, uh, you know, those pesky time zones, you could still be at work. Um, come hang out, especially, uh, we have some, some great, uh, experienced people that come in willing to answer questions and, uh, it's just a good time to expand your network. Uh, yeah. And, and they're fun. <laughs> I've dropped into a couple and, and they can be really fun. Uh, so Dr. Destiny, I think with that, uh, it's time to wrap up unless you've got anything else you want to announce. 
I don't want to announce, but I just want to say, I love that you brought that up with Lee because that is also going to hold him accountable for having these. <laughs> and if not getting really good at passing the buck and giving people, other people, the opportunity to take over too. So I love that. And thank you for doing that, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, anytime at all. <laughs> so thanks very much, everyone, once again, for joining us. And Dr. Destiny, if you want to count us out of here, we'll see everyone in one week's time. I'll count out loud in three, two, one. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.